It's something for nothing. The Rush fan cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you this evening? I'm great, Steve. And how are you? I'm fantastic because today we're going to talk about the last studio album on our list. We've talked about all the albums <laughs> except one. Right. All of the albums in some kind of order. But we saved the last for last. We did. We saved the last for last. Clockwork Angels. I can't wait. There was a time, Steve, when Clockwork Angels was going to be our last podcast. It was. Right? We were going to wrap up the entire run of the show with doing Clockwork Angels. But I don't think that's in the plans now. I think we're going to hang out for a little longer. Yeah. I I think that the plan is to just do it now, get it over with. We had serious trepidation about even attempting it, only because in our minds it had been built up to be Clockwork Angels, the final album. And if it was the final album, then it should be our final episodes. Right, and we should talk about the garden last and wrap it up with the garden. Skip out of town with all the money. (laughs) But we're not going to do that. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro. Lex did another masterful job. You can follow us or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Our host is Podbean, Jer, and we thank Podbean for hosting us so nicely. They are so nice over there at Podbean. They are. And I have a Twitter poll for you, Jay. You ready for this? Oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting a Twitter poll. I'm so behind on the Twitter polls. This was months (laughs) ago, months ago. (laughs) Remember when we had Miller on? Yes, of course I remember him. We talk about Miller all the time. He suggested a Twitter poll, if you recall. I don't remember that. (laughs) I don't recall that. We were talking about Middletown Dreams, and we were trying to figure out if the characters in Middletown Dreams ever get out of Middletown. Oh, yes. And we debated about it, and Miller suggested a Twitter poll, so I put one up months ago. So here are the choices. Yes, they do. (laughs) No, they don't. Or I have no idea. Oh, man, that third one's really throwing a wrench in things. Yes. I am going to say I have no idea. No. Oh. No, they don't. Won the poll. 52% believe they do not get out of Middletown. That was my heart. My heart was speaking with that one. I should have, I should have gone with my heart. Yes, they do came in second, 28%. And I have no idea. It was only 20%. Oh, so, uh, no, they stay in their humdrum lives. Right. Really won by a large margin. One out of five Rush fans have no idea whether the Middletown Dreams characters get out or not. Yes. So certainly not in the text, as they say that they get out. So it's all like Miller said, up to your point of view on life. Right. And also one out of five rush fans choose Trident. (laughs) Isn't that four out of five dentists? (laughs) Oh, right. That fifth dentist, man, he just hates gum. (laughs) Hates. Does Trident even exist anymore? I don't know. I don't really chew gum. I was once a big gum guy. Oh, let's, we can't just start talking about gum. We can't talk about gum. You got an email for us, Jer? Yes, I do, Steve. This is from Matt. Hey, Matt. It's it's a little long, but uh, worth it, I think. He says, hey, Jerry and Steve. I've been thinking about writing this email for some time, but I've had to catch up with the episodes. Well, this week, I finally did it. I started listening to your podcast on March 6th of this year, and I have continued to listen faithfully since. I'll be honest. During the first episode, I wasn't overly impressed. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's not surprising. No, you weren't the only one. But there were a few things that I liked. First was when you said, we are not and don't claim to be the biggest Rush fans out there. And there were a lot of other fans out there who are more knowledgeable and bigger fans than us. I liked your honesty and your humble attitude. And it's true. It's very true to this day. Uh, The other thing was your in-depth analysis of the lyrics. I have always been amazed at Neil's lyrics, but I rarely analyze them in the way that you do. It really brought a new life to the songs for me. The next thing was the origin story for both of you. I connected with the fact that you two have been friends since high school and the fact that we are basically the same age. I, too, had a bunch of friends who were Rush fans in high school. Some were musicians and some were not, but we all had an affinity for Rush. Finally, the banter and joking between the two of you is really part of your appeal. It's like I'm having a conversation, or at least listening to a conversation, with a couple of friends from high school about the awesomeness of Rush. Oh, wow. Awesome compliment. That's great. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. I was just waiting for some banter. Oh. No banter? No, but I don't have any banter. Come on. No, no banter. Okay. In roughly four months, I have listened to all 96 episodes. So this was a few. Yeah, this was a while ago. I would usually listen to one in the morning on the way to work and finish and start another episode after work on the way home. What was truly fascinating in the beginning was that the world was completely different during the first year of your podcast. For those first 20 episodes, Neil was still alive and listening to your podcast with the knowledge that he wasn't with us anymore was almost surreal. Your episode honoring him was perfect and it brought me back to the day I heard the news. It was both sad and healing to honor his life's work all over again. That podcast connected with all of us that were so impacted by Neil's life and his untimely passing. The other world-changing development was, of course, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, it was surreal to hear you guys go from, what's this new coronavirus thing, to full lockdown and not being able to even record in the same room. It was literally unbelievable, and it brought back all the changes in my own life, as well as how we have all struggled over the past year and a half. And we still haven't recorded in the same room since. Because we're lazy. (laughs) Now we're just lazy. We could, but we just, we just, it's just easier. It's, it's actually working out well this way and sounds great. I think, I think. Yeah. If you ever think your podcast is not making an impact, I will tell you it, that it has in my life. Since starting and now finishing the 96 episodes of the podcast, I have learned more about my favorite band than I ever could have imagined. I thought I was a big fan, but I didn't know Jack. Yeah. Tell us about it, Matt. Yeah, really? You guys have done an amazing job of bringing on guests from within the Rush organization and world that most Rush fans would never know about or hear about in an interview. The origin stories are truly amazing, and it has all rekindled my love for the best band the world has ever seen or heard. Keep up the awesome work, and I hope you realize you are really connecting with Rush fans out there in a way that is unique and much appreciated. I can't wait to keep listening to future episodes beyond 100 and hopefully 200. Wow. I don't know about that, Matt. As we talked about, <laughs> 200, that's going to be a stretch. Oh, I will definitely take you guys out to lunch to discuss all things Rush if you are ever in Naples, Florida. Oh, Naples. That's a beautiful, beautiful city. Is it? Oh, yeah. I'd love to go out to lunch with Matt in Naples. Matt, thanks so much for that amazing email. We really appreciate the compliments. And Yes, it was very nice. We hope you keep listening. So, Jer, we're about to do it. Clockwork Angels, are you ready? Oh, I am ready. Rush's 19th and final studio album released June 12th, 2012 recorded 
in two different spots, April 2010, Blackbird Studio in Nashville, and October through December 2011 at Revolution Recording in Toronto. Now, if you recall, Jar, the first two songs were recorded much earlier. Yes. At that first studio, Caravan and BU2B. They were released in June 2010 for digital download, the cool new digital download. (laughs) Is that when digital downloads were like a thing for the first time? Well, they were a thing. I'm not sure exactly when they became a thing, but they were already a thing by then. (laughs) And they were also included on the set list for the Time Machine Tour, which was a very cool treat. It was a cool treat, but I know that we talked about this, and I was not a fan of the songs hearing them out of context. Really? Yeah, I think we talked about that. Didn't I don't, we? If we did, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. No, not on the podcast, in our personal lives. Oh, okay. In our non-podcast lives. I don't have a non-podcast life anymore, Jar. <laughs> don't you remember when we first heard them? We were like, yeah, okay, they're good. But they got better when I heard the whole album. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They were just like these songs, and I'm like, okay, that's interesting, because I don't think I had ever seen the guy's release singles out of nowhere unconnected to an upcoming album right the album wouldn't be out until what 2013 well i think they did it in the in the past very early on before we started seeing them they would debut a song on the tour prior to the album coming out they did that with tom sawyer i believe oh yeah but they didn't record it and release it as singles not for digital download no not in 1980 but I mean, like back then, they wouldn't just put out a 45 of a new song and be no. like, yeah, okay, this is going to be on an album in a couple of years. And we don't even know the name of the album yet or whatever. You know what I mean? That's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, vibe I got from the songs when they played them live is that they were these two songs they had written. Mm-hmm. And here they are. I thought they were great. I remember us talking about them not being so good. I don't um, recall that. If I did say that, then maybe I did. But well, my, my memory is definitely faulty. That's obvious. Or maybe I was just talking to myself. That's possible. That's possible. So, Jer, five singles from Clockwork Angels. Oh, Jesus. You know the first one. What are the other four? I know the first one. Caravan? Well, Caravan was released as a single with the B-side of B-U-2-B. Oh. June 1st, 2010. That doesn't count as a single, B-U-2-B? No. That was the B-side, Jer. Oh, okay. I get it now. What are the other ones? Um, I'm not going to know what the other ones are, Steve. Um, I want to say the Anarchist. Yes. Clockwork Angels. No. Uh, man, just give them to me. Headlong Flight. Oh, of course. The Wreckers. Wreckers. And The Garden. Of course, The Garden. And The Garden was released on Record Store Day. Really? April 20th, 2013. And it was only available on record store day. So that's a rare one. As a 45? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And what was it backed with, as you say? I don't know. That I don't know. I didn't know that. Anyway, Clockwork Angels debuted at number one in Canada, number two on the Billboard 200 charts. Should have been number one. And of course, produced by Nick Raskulenitz, yep. who also produced Snakes and Arrows masterfully. And and what a great job he did producing this record. Uh, unbelievable. This record sounds amazing. 
I don't know how you're listening to it, Steve. You're listening to it in headphones, speakers. How are you? How are you listening to this thing? The last time I listened to it, it was in my car, blasting. Because there is so much atmospheric, atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on on the periphery of all of the songs, before the songs, in the songs, after the songs. Just sounds of this world that we've been invited into. The album sounds beautiful if you have mm-hmm. good enough headphones and can really, and don't turn it up as loud as I usually do, believe it or not. Believe it or not, Steve, not everything benefits from turning it all the way up. But this is one of those albums that I think does, though, for me at least. I think it benefits from turning it up really, really loud. Well, I mean, in one way, it benefits from turning it up really, really loud in that you get to feel it in your chest. Right. But when it, when it comes to hearing those nuances, Turning it down, you can definitely, you know, later on you can hear, uh, you know, the peddler saying, what do you lack? Right. Which I didn't hear the first couple of times because it was cranked up to, you know, my stereo, my car goes up to 40 for some reason. I don't know why it goes up to 40, <laughs> but usually everything is up to 40. Right. And I didn't, I didn't hear it. Turn it down a little bit and then you can hear the, the voices and the calliope playing in one song. It's really just in a, a great he did a great job of, of capturing the landscape of the world in between the songs, even. Nick is a sonic landscaper, isn't he? <laughs> he is a sonic landscaper. I got to keep using that. It's great. Sonic landscaper. He is. <laughs> in this respect, he is definitely a, a sonic groundskeeper. I'm sure he doesn't call himself <laughs> that, though, which is probably a good thing. So before we get more into the music, Jar, why don't we talk about the album art? Because we usually do before we get into an album. Yep. And our friend Ryan Reed at Ultimate Classic Rock spoke to Hugh Syme about every single album cover recently. Yep. And I have a quote from Hugh from Ryan's article. Okay. Syme is talking about Neil, and he says he liked the idea of just the clock and those alchemic symbols. I said they'll have a nice home in the package somewhere was one of those moments of, no, I want that on the cover. I remember feeling a little compromised by that summary request, hmm. but it did work really well. It ended up being a clean, iconic, minimal cover. He goes on to say, I think it coexisted nicely against what would eventually be revealed in my illustrations for the inner package. The rationale I adhered to on Hold Your Fire found its place in Rush history once again. And uh, Syme admits that had he been left to his own devices to do a cover for such an epic saga, he probably would have created something slightly more picturesque and environmental. Hmm. But he did say the client was right. <laughs> the client is always right. The client is always right. Right. If you're, pay- if you're paying the bills, you're right. You're right. But, but it's simple. And like Hold Your Fire, it's red. And it's got that hold your fire simplicity to it. And I do like it. I like it too. I think it has a nod to 2112 um, in, the, in the red underneath. I think it has a lot since the album. You can compare the album, at least the content of the, you know, the story right. aspect of the album to 2112. And I think it definitely has a nod, at least in the color, to 2112. But also in the time that the clock is set to. But what other time could it be? I know. Well, that's just a nod to 2112. Right. And military time, 912 is 2112. Right. But also, as someone emailed, a bunch of people emailed me, and I saw it on Reddit and other places, 
that nine twelve is Neil's birthday, right? Oh, right. That's true. That's true. So, which made me think automatically: is that why twenty one twelve is named twenty one twelve? Because in military time, nine twelve is twenty one twelve. Right. So you think Neil was going with his birthday as the year? I don't know. Either yeah. that, or it's just coincidence. It's a palindrome, right? Twenty one twelve. It's just just nice. It is a palindrome, right? Yes. I don't know. Only Neil would know. I bet you Hugh knows. You might know. He might know. That is true. That is true. I just didn't make the connection between when I looked at it and it said nine twelve. I didn't think military time because. I don't know. I, I never thought military time. I had to read it somewhere. So do you think these symbols have any meaning at all or they're just completely made up? No, they're, well, <laughs> what? they do have meaning, but they are alchemical symbols. Okay. And of course, alchemy is completely made up. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been on a tear lately, Steve. We can't really get into it about how things are just all made up. I've been, it's been, it's come up a couple times in my conversations with my families about my, my families and my family about different things. Like we were talking about traditions. Like Valentine's day is made up. Yeah. Some people are like, you know, this is a new tradition, so it's not as valid as some old tradition. And the, the truth is that though all traditions are just made up. So just pick one. They're all equally invalid to you. Right. They're both equally invalid. So these are all made up symbols in the alchemical world which is alchemy is turning one object into another through quote unquote science, chemistry, basically. And alchemists back in the day, they're we're talking back in the day, I don't know how 1600s, 1800s, right. whenever their big thing was trying to turn lead into gold. That was their big thing. And that happens in the book. Right. We're probably, we're talking about the clockwork angels book as well. Right. That's how the watchmaker makes all of his money is he makes all this gold. But is it really gold? Yeah, well, that was the object of alchemy, was to turn one substance that had no value into a substance that had value. Right, but the question is, did the watchmaker or whoever was turning this lead into gold, did they actually accomplish their goal? Did they turn it into gold? Yes, in the book, and I guess in the story of the album, alchemy actually exists as a science. Right. And it does work, yes. But did it really work in reality? No. <laughs> no, never. nothing ever worked. What you'd get is chemical reactions. Right. But in, in the absence of actual science, some of these chemical reactions can seem like magic. Right. Right? You put two things together and all of a sudden you've got like salt. It's like, mm -hmm. how did that happen? <laughs> but so yes, these are real symbols that stand for real things. And I searched up and down the internet. I was searching for a while. I'm like, what are these, what do these symbols mean? And I finally came across the Rush Vault, which is not a very deep, you know, you don't have to go searching very far to find Rush Vault, right? Right. And they had a very long explanation. You could just go to, to Rush Vault and search for meaning of Rush's clockwork angels runes, and then you'll find the whole article. But we can go through them if you want. No, we don't need to go through them. I just wanted to know if they stood for the numbers or they stood for something else. They stand for something else. So that little pitchfork isn't a nine. No, that is quicklime. So yeah, I have the list right here. At one o'clock is sulfur. Okay. At two is metallurgy. At three is mercury. At four is winter. 
Five is zinc. Six is gold. Seven is water. Eight is oil essence, which is used to purify metals. Nine is quicklime. Ten is lead. Eleven is earth. And twelve is copper. And then there's that little symbol used in the place of the U in the name Rush. Yes. And that's amalgamation. Okay. Amalgamation is the bringing together of different elements and getting a larger outcome, which is basically what the band is. These three guys come together and the amalgamation of their talents is greater than the single talent of each one. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's very well thought out. Like I said, on Rush Vault, whoever does Rush Vault went through each of these and related each of these numbers and symbols to songs and explained how the copper or the metallurgy or the mercury relates to each song on the album. Oh, really? Yeah. It was very in-depth, and I'm not going to take, I'm not going to read it, take too long, and I don't want to steal whoever's idea. Just go to Rush Vault and check it out, right? Yeah, check it out. It's pretty interesting. And do you think it's valid? It's as valid as anything we say, Steve. It's as valid as Valentine's Day? <laughs> as valid as Valentine's Day. It's as valid as anyone else's interpretation of anything, I think. I think it was, it was very interesting. So before we get into the songs, should we talk about steampunk itself? Sure. And what steampunk is? Does everybody know what steampunk is, Jer? And I, I can't answer that question. Well, I can answer that question because I didn't know what steampunk was until I read Clockwork Angels. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a genre of fantasy novels. I'm mm-hmm. going to say fantasy, although I'm, the difference between fantasy and some other genre probably eludes me, the, the subtle difference, in which basically the um, internal combustion engine was never created, I think is what it boils down to. And everything is steam-powered. Right. Right. The external combustion engine, if you will. And people like Jules Verne from, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Phineas Fogg, I think he was the main character in Around the World in 80 Days, and all these kind of age of discovery people who, you know, were just on the, on the cusp of learning about science. And they had these rudimentary things where, you know, hot air balloons and things that were powered by steam. That's where the technology ended. But then, then in its place comes all of the fantastical elements of technology like alchemy and stuff like that. Right. And it's all future, I think. Yes. Well, what I saw, I'm not sure whether it was Kevin J. Anderson or it was Neil that said this, but summed up steampunk in one sentence. The future as seen from the past. So what the people right. in the 1700s imagined the future would be right not what it turned out to be right that's yeah it's great yeah and and basically what you just described is what the people of the past imagined the future would be they didn't have the concept of electricity right you should have led with that because then i didn't have to say all that (laughs) that would have been so much better (laughs) because personally i that's all i know i've just you know read about steampunk i've never read any steam punk but just that basic concept once i had that as the base then it all made sense to me it all makes sense yeah it all made sense so why don't we get into the music jared let's get into the first track what do you say let's do it track one is caravan on the road that only 
Jerry, you know I like to start out with quotes. Oh, yeah. Strangely, I don't have a quote from Neil, but I have a quote from Getty. So how's that? It's great. Getty told MusicRadar.com when this album was released, Caravan starts the story off. It's basically about a young guy who's got big dreams, big desires, and a very romantic vision of what the world's supposed to bring him. And he can't wait to go out and see it. So he kind of runs away from home stows away on the back of an airship. In our world, airships are trains that fly. <laughs> and yeah, he sets off to find the world. Yeah. So that that's pretty much it. So should we set up the story a little bit before we talk about Caravan? Sure. Do you want to just read the little synopsis that's before the song in the liner notes, or do you want to talk about the book? That's a good idea. I'll I'll read that. So, So this is what Neil writes in the liner notes. It seems like a lifetime ago, which of course it was, all that and more. For a boy, life on the farm was idyllic. But for the young man I became, that very peace and predictability were stifling, unbearable. I had big dreams, and I needed a big place to explore them the whole wide world. Near our village in Barrel Arbor, the steamliners touched down and traveled on rails along the winding Pinion River toward Crown City, watching them pass in the night, how I prayed to get away. Now, the protagonist in the book, Jar, is named Owen Hardy. Right. The initials, as Kevin J. Anderson told us, O.H., our hero. Yeah, the placeholder, our hero for right. a while. Which they turned into Owen Hardy. Now, I'm not so sure if we should talk too much about the book, although the book absolutely is worth reading just to fill in the story of what happens. Because these songs are great, and you can pick out a lot of the story from the songs, Mm -hmm. but the book does a great job of explaining what happens in between each song. So it's definitely worth reading the book. But for the most part, this, this basically sums it up. Owen Hardy is a young man with big dreams. He's living in a stifling little town. Small town life's not for him, so he hitches a ride on a steam liner. Right. Bang. That's the song. <laughs> and now we start the song. <laughs> right. Oh, and I missed a line at the, at the end. It's none of it seemed right to me. Right. He has this sinking feeling that he wasn't meant 
to be, I think in the book, he's the assistant manager of an of a apple orchard. Yes, that's correct. He sees his life as having more significance than that. And so he just has a lot of wanderlust. So at the beginning of the song, we hear the bells, I guess, of the caravan. Yes, clanging away. That's, well, that's exactly what I was talking about. The, the noises and the sounds mm-hmm. of the world we, that are woven into the song itself. It's just a great way to start off this song. And this song is really sets up the world building. You have to get these kind of things out of the way. What a difficult task. The, the whole concept of an entire concept record right. must have been. Like, what's the song we're going to start off with that sets up as much as possible and it gets as much information across as quickly as possible, both musically and lyrically, to get us on our way. And that's what this song is. Yeah, and of course, Neil does it in so few words, like he always does. And just musically, the song is so heavy, Jared. It's, it's so, so heavy. It's so heavy, Steve. Steve, first of all, I've said it before, I love this album to death. Just like the watchmaker loves us all to death. <laughs> I love this album to death. Right. And you can almost at the beginning of the song, you know, it's got all these weird noises like, and it's almost like you can, if you were to visualize it, if you're thinking Rush again, it's like a visual band, like from moving pictures, the camera swooping in, like seeing, just like taking in the scenery and just kind of swooping in, swooping down on this one kid who just jumped on a steam liner. It's so perfect. And like Lex was talking about a few episodes ago, how much he loved when Getty and Neil were in sync. Mm -hmm. And in this song at the beginning, Getty, Neil, and Alex are just bang, 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 in sync. The timing is impeccable. Yeah. It's so heavy. What do you think Rush fans from the 70s thought when they heard this album, if they even bothered? to listen to this album. I would hope they would think they're back. Right? Right. I mean, how can someone who loves 2112, you, you say the album cover had similarities to 2112. Yeah. How could you not love 2112 and also love this? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This album is so good. (laughs) It belongs, it almost belongs in a separate, in a different place in the catalog. Almost. It's so heavy, Steve. It's the heaviest album they've done since I don't even know when. It might even be their heaviest album, right? But to me, it's Rush coming full circle. Yeah. You know, it's, hey, we experimented. We did all the stuff. We did everything we wanted to do. And now here we are. Right. It's, it's also like a, a distillation of everything they've ever learned. If mm-hmm. 2112, as good a story as it was, this album is a more mature take and a more nuanced take of the same kind of world. Yep. Right? Yes. Where there's someone in charge who makes your decisions for you and everyone's happy with it, except for this one kid who doesn't seem to be very happy with it. But the, the complexity of the story in Clockwork Angels is 10 times as complex as the story of 2112. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why don't we go through the lyrics? Let's do that. As we like to do, Jer. Yes. So it starts out in a world lit only by fire. Long train of flares under piercing stars. I stand watching the steamliners roll by. You could picture yourself in that 
in that spot, right? That's just what I was going to say. In those three lines, we get a, a gist of what this whole society is like mm-hmm. in a world lit only by fire. No electricity. No electricity. Light bulbs. There's just, you know, maybe gas lamps. Turns out it's cold fire, I guess. Right. It's kind of rustic, right? A long train of, long train of flares under piercing stars. Got this dark. Yeah. It's really dark. <laughs> Have you ever been under the stars when it's completely dark? They are piercing, right? They are. It's incredible how bright the stars are. I stand watching the steam liners roll by. Now, you probably don't know what the steam liners are, but you can imagine what they would be like in this world already. Yep. That's lit only by fire, right? Incredible. The caravan thunders onward to the distant dream of the city. Caravan carries me onward on my way at last, on my way at last. So Owen is on the steamliner. He's on the steamliner. And even though we don't know, if, like I said, it's fleshed out a lot more in the, in the book. We don't know what he's leaving behind. You can definitely tell that on my way at last lets you know that he definitely has some kind of destination in mind. Oh, yeah. And he's been thinking about this for a long time. And finally, he's on his way. He's in this steamliner on his way to the city. And I love when we get to the chorus, Alex's guitar on this I Can't Stop Thinking Big part is just so dreamy and so perfect. Right. Like Alex always does. Yeah. I can't stop thinking big. I can't stop thinking big. Yeah, Alex on this entire album is just, he's on fire the entire album. And as this song goes on, I mean, he gives everything on every song. They all do, but if you listen to Alex for a while, so many different ways he's attacking these songs and from every possible direction. And as you just said, this album is kind of a culmination of all their albums. You're going to think this is crazy, but I think Alex's guitar playing on this reminds me the most of Grace Under Pressure of all albums. Okay. Do you have examples or reasons? I don't know. It's just all these textures that he adds to all these songs. It reminds me of the way he he did it on Grace Under Pressure, which was also masterful. Yeah, I can see that. There was a lot of swooping and, and stuff like that. Maybe it's a stretch, but that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll agree. I'll agree with you now. Okay. So uh, we get to the next verse on a road lit only by fire going where I want instead of where I should. I peer out at the passing shadows carried through the night into the city where a young man has a chance of making good, a chance to break from the past. The caravan thunders onward, stars winking through the canvas hood on my way at last. The interesting thing to me about this song, knowing the entire album and how the story, how his story ends up, right? the lines where a young man has a chance of making good, a chance to break from the past. You know, he has, at the beginning of his journey, he has this idea that he's going to, to you know, find some big dream, right? Make some big mm-hmm. dream come true. And he's going to, you know, make good, which... I'm assuming you would interpret as like making money or being famous or making something of yourself, quote unquote. But the story doesn't end up that way. Right. He doesn't become some famous person, but he still makes good. Mm -hmm. You know, he makes good in his, in his own way. 
I just think it's a very interesting thing to plop into the first song, this kind of idea that he's on his way to do one thing, but his life kind of ends up a different way. Right. And he's satisfied with that at the end as well. And I can't help thinking, I mentioned this to Kevin J. Anderson a few weeks ago, that Neil is Owen Hardy. Yeah. I mean, Neil did the same thing when he was a kid. He was working at his dad's, what, parts shop in St. Catharines. Yep. And just moved to London. (laughs) Yeah, he moved to London, right. Yeah. He jumped on the steam liner and did not what, what, what's the line here? Going where I want instead of where I should. Yeah. He probably felt he should stay home and work with his dad, but he went where he wanted to go. Yep. Yep. It's absolutely true. And his story didn't end up exactly like Owen Hardy's did, but it started out the same way. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah, absolutely. So Getty's bass solo-ish, right after the second verse into that cool bridge part, I mean, incredible. It feels like you're traveling with Owen Hardy on this caravan. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what I, I wrote down in this, in that section, right after that little bass solo, it seems like all three of them Mm -hmm. are just kind of going off in their own little directions, but it all comes together and it kind of feels like, like racing, you know, it's like, yep. There's that one part where it's just building and building and building and building. And then it falls down again. It kind of feels like the ups and downs of being on a trip. Right. Sometimes you're, you know, going really fast in the steam liner. Maybe he slows down for a second, but then he's, and, but behind him is always the idea that he's going somewhere. So there's always some kind of excitement to it, even if it's going up and down. And we've talked about this so many times. We've talked about all Rush's albums by now, and they convey the lyrics in the music somehow. Yeah, I know. Brilliantly. It, the feeling that it's the ideas and Alex's solo is kind of a chaotic, frantic kind of solo. Yes. Right? The kind of emotions that a young boy would have <laughs> leaving his life behind. Because in the book, he doesn't just like get on the steam liner. He abandons his entire life. Yeah. Doesn't even tell anybody. Doesn't even tell anybody. He just takes off on a, almost on a whim to follow his dreams. And this guitar solo can tell you a lot about that. It's so odd and and chaotic, like I said. And over Alex's guitar solo, Getty's doing a bass solo, and his yeah. bass sound is so nasty. And I mean that in the, <laughs> the best possible way. <laughs> the entire the production on this entire album is nasty in the best way possible. Yeah. Some of the songs are so like rugged. It makes you wonder where Rush would have been without Nick Raskulenitz and what he brought to these albums. I know. I know. Some kind of muscle. They needed that different voice. They really did. And it worked so well. It did work so well. I agree. So what about this line, in a world where I feel so small, I can't stop thinking big. How great is that? Yeah, what does that mean to you, Steve? It seems like you've got a connection to it. Well, I don't know if I'm connected to it, but we can all relate to it, right? Yeah, that's true. We all feel like, the little fish in a big pond a lot of the times, don't you think? Yeah, and I guess it doesn't matter if he feels small as long as his dreams are larger than his own life. Right. You know, something to, to reach for, something to, you know, try for. You know, mm-hmm. maybe your, what is it called? Your uh, your reach exceeds your grasp. 
or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's what it, that's the kind of feeling you're supposed to uh, get from that. But throughout this record, there are a bunch of lines like that that just stick out to me. And that's, that's one that's just really impactful in a world where I feel so small. This whole album is littered with great one-liners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It is incredible. It's Neil's masterpiece. It really is. And I think based on what Kevin J. Anderson told us a few weeks ago, Neil felt the same way, that this was his masterpiece. Oh, yeah. I think all, all three of the guys should consider this one of their masterpieces, without a doubt. There's no question. I mean, I think all three of them shined more brightly on this record than they did on any of their other albums. All three of them. Any other album? I think so. I think so. I'm not going to say this is my favorite Rush album. But I bet you it's their favorite Rush album. I would, yeah, I would imagine so too. I bet you it is. We should find out. We should definitely find out. So it's definitely, definitely, definitely top 10 for me. We've never done albums rankings, have we? That's something we can do. We'll have to do that. And we should. Yeah. So before we do that, we should check out track two on Clockwork Angels. What do you think, Jar? Let's do it. B-U-2-B. I was brought up to has a plan We're only human It's not ours to understand The universe has a plan Our is for the best Some will be rewarded And the devil will take for the rest Neil's liner notes, Jar. I'll give you another quote from Getty from that same musicradar.com interview. Okay. BU2B, this is more about his personal upbringing and values that were instilled into this character. And this is what you find when he goes out and faces this world that is not so cool. This and Caravan were the first two pieces of the puzzle, the rest of it all to be filled in later. And then Getty laughed. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how he laughed, but but he laughed. Uh, and Neil, from the liner notes of the album, we were always taught that we lived in the best of all possible worlds. The watchmaker ruled from Crown City through the regulators. The alchemist priests gave us cold fire for power and light, and everything was well-ordered. We accepted our various individual fates as inevitable, for we had also been taught Whatever happens to us must be what we deserve, for it could not happen to us if we did not deserve it. Yeah, very circular reasoning. None of it seemed right to me. <laughs> and, and again, this to me just screams Neil. None of it yeah. seemed right to me, right? That's right. That's the second time we've heard that, right? He said at the end of the, right. the first intro thing. Yeah. But you know, it's it, the funny thing about the, the intro to this song is that it would never make the radio edit, <laughs> right? It's just however long it is, like a minute of of Alex playing guitar and Getty kind of moaning the lyrics, and there's just all this noise in the background. But it's great. 
It is great. It's fantastic. And of course, BU2B means brought up to believe. Why do you think they used the acronym and didn't just call the song brought up to believe? I have no idea. Do you have an idea? I have no idea. I just thought maybe you did. No, I always wondered that. You're the smart one in the group. (laughs) Oh, am I? (laughs) Now you tell me. (laughs) So this song has, has a lot of religious undertones, don't you think? Oh, you know me. I love to, I love to put religion on everything. There's definitely, definitely to me, a religious overtone to the watchmaker as a character and to the idea of everyone in the society that, you know, someone's in charge. They know what's best. Right. And whatever happens, happens for the best, because why else would someone as great as the watchmaker do anything that wasn't for the best? Right. But in the book, the watchmaker is a person. It's not a God. That's true. But he somehow can controls everything. He can, they, you know, he, he controls when it's going to rain. He controls all the weather in general. He controls a lot of things to make people as happy as possible. So Owen Hardy, he's uh, working at the apple orchard, and that's just the way his life is supposed to be, right? Yep. The watchmaker wanted it that way. It's all for the best, and um, this is the best of all possible worlds for him, right? He should be happy. He should be happy, but he's not. Why isn't he happy? He has no idea what's out there in the world and what he's missing. Yeah, he feels like he's missing something. But a lot of people uh, aren't. They like the fact that they know you know, what's coming. And they, they like the fact that they feel like someone else is in charge of things. Not necessarily they don't feel like someone's in charge of them. They feel like someone is in charge. Right. And that the things that happen are for the best because the person in charge says that they're for the best. And as long as nothing really terrible befalls you, then what difference does it make? See, the watchmaker was right all along. Watchmaker was right all along. Before we get into the lyrics... This song, again, is so freaking heavy. I know. It's amazing. It just slams. It's like a slamming door in your face. How this song just comes in, right? <laughs> like being brought up Catholic. <laughs> it's so noisy. This song is just noisy. Again, the best possible way. It's so loud and noisy. It's like Sister Elise hitting you with the paddle. <laughs> Who's oh, a real man. sister who really had a paddle. Right. A real. That's a story yeah. for another day. <laughs> man, this song just kind of kicks in. And again, if you, if you had turned, turned it up a little bit, cause you're like, Oh, what's that ghostly. All right. Ghostly stuff happening in the background. And you turn it up all the way. And then out of nowhere, it goes, bound. <laughs> oh man. It'll knock you over. So the lyrics, Jar, I was brought up yeah. to believe the universe has a plan. We are only human. It's not ours to understand, Jer. Nope. And again, I'm just going to read religion into this. Oh, totally. It's 1,000% religion, I think. Right. The universe has a plan. All is for the best. Some will be rewarded, and the devil take the rest. I mean, this is Catholicism, right? To me, it (laughs) is. You ask me, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If you do good, you'll be rewarded for good things and be punished for bad things. You're going to hell if you do bad things. The devil will take you. The devil will take you. 
That's right. And the, you know, it, we are only human. It's not ours to understand. Who can question God, right? God works in mysterious ways. How many different ways can you say it? Something happens. We don't know why. Right. It's God's will. It's God's will. Mm, there's nothing you can do about it. So you just got to accept it. And it wouldn't have happened if you didn't deserve it. Now, to me, that line there, what you just said is, I mean, that wasn't in the lyrics yet, but you deserve it. Yeah. Right? Whatever happens to you, you deserve it. Right. You can be the prosperity kind of preacher. You deserve, you know, an airplane and mm -hmm. 17 Rolls Royces. Or you deserve the, the hovel you're living in because you're not godly enough or whatever. Then we get to the chorus. All is for the best. Believe in what we're told. Blind men in the market buying what we're sold. <laughs> Believe in what we're told until our final breath, while our loving watchmaker loves us all to death. Right. How great is that? <laughs> it is great. Because I I'm, read that two different ways, right? Okay. One is that um, the watchmaker literally loves everyone from the time they're born to the time they're di they die. Like God supposedly like does. Like God does. Or he loves us until he kills us all. <laughs> He loves us to death. You know what I mean? His love is the cause of your of everyone's death because he's just so oppressive. Oh, man. I could be wrong about that. I, I understand I may be reading way into it, but that's what I think of whenever I hear that line. Oh, me too. Me too. And, you know, I think we're biased because we were, again, we were brought up Catholic and, you know, Baltimore catechism is just imprinted into my head. Oh, scary God. book. <laughs> it is a scary book. It's a real scary book. Oh, man. All those pictures of the devil, Jerry. I can't get them out of my head. <laughs> I, I still have mine. Do you really? Yeah. I should bring it over to your house. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to see it. It's, it's too frightening. <laughs> it's too frightening. Oh, man. So Getty's bass in the chorus. Oh, my God. I wrote down the same thing. It's just incredible. Incredible. I know. Right? The tone that he gets throughout this album is just wicked nasty as we said i think nasty is going to be the the word of the next four podcasts yeah it just sounds nasty totally nasty and there's another rush moment right before the chorus right before he says believe in what we're told it's this that the tiny bit of silence and it kicks in believe in what we're told that part right i just love when i'm yeah, in the car so. listening to this i'm just yeah <laughs> you know you love a good silence I do. I don't know what it is about those little tiny moments that Rush throws into every, not every song, but a lot of songs. And it just, yeah. just gets me every time. I love it. I know. Love it. And then as we go in the lyrics a little further, in a world of cut and thrust, I was always taught to trust in a world where all must fail. Heaven's justice will prevail. So this song is him, is Owen, in the real world now. Right. He's off the steamliner. He's gotten into this the world and he's realizing that it's not exactly the world that he was brought up to believe it was right that's really what the song is about uh-huh the joy and pain that we receive each comes with its own cost the price of what we're winning is the same as what we've lost right so everything evens out yep it's supposed to even out anyway until our final breath the joy and pain that we receive must be what we deserve. 
There's where the line comes in. I was brought up to believe. Wow. And the, the repetition of I was brought up to believe kind of points to the fact that he doesn't necessarily believe it anymore. No, no. <laughs> well, but that's, that's why I relate to this song so much. I mean, like, like we, it's pretty obvious we were both brought up Catholic and we're no longer Catholic. Yeah. For a lot of the same reasons that this song pretty much maps out, right? Well, yeah, that's true. You come to a certain recognition after a while that the things you were taught don't jibe with the way the world actually works and the way people treat each other mm-hmm. in the world. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was always jarring to me. Maybe this is just a, a little too much of an aside. But it was always jarring to me to be in church on Sunday and say all these beautiful things and praise God and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, go out into the parking lot and have people making fun of each other, the kids making fun of each other, <laughs> making fun of each other's clothes, getting into you know, arguments over parking spaces and stuff. It's just like, did you, am I the only one listening to what was said in that stupid building? And I'm not even believe it. What church did you go to, Jared, with all these <laughs> kids making fun of each other in the parking lot? That didn't happen at my church. Sure it did. Oh my God. You see all the nice people dressed up after church in diners, you know, yelling at the waitresses. It's just like, come, where were you? What, what are you listening to? Does anything penetrate that head of yours? You went to Holy Family, Jared. That wasn't a very holy family, was it? <laughs> and St. Catherine's. <laughs> Oy vey. It just always struck me. It's just like, wait a minute. Does it only last when it's in that building? Does this feeling only last for the hour and 15 minutes we were inside that building? You step one, one step outside and all of a sudden you're a Cretan again? It doesn't make any sense. That might be too much. Maybe. That's just what I'm getting from this song is that he steps into the world and he's just like, wait a minute. I thought everybody thought like this. I thought, didn't we just say that everything happens for a reason? And then all of a sudden I'm in this world and I'm, you know, in a world of cut and thrust. Yeah. What exactly does that mean? (laughs) Can you explain cut and thrust? I think someone's trying to steal his coin purse is what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Thrusting a knife maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, we're, we're a PG podcast, so that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) You're not going to go elsewhere with the thrust. I'm not. It's just a realization that the things that he was taught don't necessarily translate into the real world. The joy and pain that we receive must be what we deserve. And I'm sure he comes across people who don't deserve it. Yeah. People who are mean and angry and not generous. They, they get rewarded. Yeah. Well, how many people who get cut and thrusted, Jared, deserve it? Really? <laughs> not that many. <laughs> not that many. Unless, of course... You believe they do. Right. Then what must I have done to deserve that cut and thrust? I must have done something. I must have done something. There's a line in uh, Red Lenses, right? What you believe is who you are. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. I guess it just depends on what you believe. He believed these things, but now he's starting to believe other things, and it's changing who he is. I love the fact that we can just pull out a line from Red Lenses and connect it to this song. That's incredible. <laughs> it is, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, Neil had these common threads going through all his lyrics through his entire career, and it's, it really is fantastic. I know I say fantastic all the time, but I'm going to do it again. Yeah. You're going to get what's-his-name drunk. Get Jason drunk. Jason, I hope you're listening. <laughs> so... One last thing on BU2B does not have a traditional Alex solo. It does not. Which I think is great. I think it's great too. 
didn't need one. Yeah. Well, as, as we heard Andy talk to us, you know, didn't, maybe it didn't serve the song. They, maybe he put it in. It was just like, eh, doesn't do anything for the song. Let's take it out. Alex had no ego, none. None whatsoever. I was going to say, he is a professional and a genius. <laughs> and he just knows maybe it just doesn't fit. So let's just take it out. Just the fact that this song was so ripping and so heavy, and Alex decided not to put a solo in it, that makes him the greatest guitarist of all time <laughs> in my true. mind. It really it's does. True. Yes, I agree. 100%. You know, because every 100%. other guitar, how many guitarists would put this song together and not do a solo? How many? Right. Zero. Zero. Well, one. Yeah. One. It's true. I don't think that's a crazy statement. No. I really don't. No. All hail Alex. All hail Alex. Anything else on BU2B before we wrap up this podcast, Jer? Uh, no. Except that it's amazing. A better way to start off an album. Two songs like this, just ripping songs, can't be imagined. And we heard these back in 2010 before we heard Clockwork Angels in its entirety. That's true. And we heard them play these live before we heard Clockwork Angels in its entirety. So on right. the next podcast, we're going to relive hearing Clockwork Angels for the first time, really. That's true. We knew these songs two years in advance. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I know. You're very excited, Steve. I'm very excited. This is, this. you know, we haven't done our top Rush albums, but this is absolutely in my top five. Absolutely. Uh-oh, don't say that, Steve. No, it is. Okay, it's going to have to be now. It is. I'm going to write it down right now. Write it down. You can write it down if you want. Write it down. I'm going to put it in an envelope and open it as a recording. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversation about Caravan and BU2B. TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. He's great. Follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And Jer... Give us a great quote from Clockwork Angels to wrap this up. Okay. I was brought up to believe the universe has a plan. We are only human. It's not ours to understand. Definitely not. Nope. Take it easy, Jer. All right. See you.